Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Serie A Chronicles is a Media Chronicles production. It's another episode of the Serie A Chronicles podcast. I'm Mina Rizuki and I'm back with Nikki Bandini as we go through what has to be considered one of the best Serie A weekends I can honestly remember in my lifetime. Um, maybe that's exaggerated. Maybe it's not. But frankly speaking, like, wow, two teams came into this weekend undefeated. Both were defeated and, and rather comprehensively, I one might say. Well, actually, that's maybe a little bit too far, but... Uh, Nikki, do you agree? How do you feel? And wow, are we in love with Serie A again? I mean, not that we ever stopped loving it, let's be honest. We never stopped <laughs> loving it. We never stopped. I also felt like you actually, you worried about your hyperbole then, um, Mina, but you actually did said it perfectly because you said it's the most that you could remember. That just means that's all you can remember right now, which means it has to be correct. So it's definitely <laughs> the most exciting you can remember right now, but you might remember a different one later. It was bonkers Mina you know you know that I write a column for the month for the Guardian on Mondays and trying to work out where I was even supposed to start this weekend when you've got Inter beating Napoli 3-2 you've got Fiorentina beating Milan 4-3 I mean on Saturday night I was very sure that was what I would be writing about okay you know Fiorentina beat Milan 4-3 they were 3-0 up and then at the end of the week of the weekend doesn't even really get consideration for top billing, but Jose Mourinho sends an 18-year-old off the bench, leaves Zaniolo on it, and the 18-year-old scores a wonder goal and, and wins a game for Roma. I think it was an extraordinary weekend. I think it was a serious how-do-you-do from City A when we've all been off watching the national teams, thinking about other stuff for a couple of weeks. It was like, hey, did you miss us? But it was a great way to sort of get rid of those horrible, like, is Italy going to make it to the right. World Cup? And, you know, and, and everyone keeps asking, oh, are you going to go to Qatar? Well, I don't know. Is Italy going to qualify? <laughs> because, you know, yeah. otherwise, you know, this is pretty 
bad for a journalist that you're never going to the World Cup because the team that you're following is not qualifying. And then um and then there was this, you know, and, and it's so interesting, like, cause you watch like obviously because I'm I'm doing some Champions League coverage and all I ever see in La Liga is draws, you know. I watch the Bundesliga and it's it's just it's manic. And then you just think Serie A is so exciting. There are also it's just the quality of the goals. There were a lot of mistakes. I mean, Fiorentina at Milan was a disaster when it came oh to actual goodness. individual it mistakes. <gasps> it was hilariously bad. But then you see these goals and you think the, the, the technique of Vlaovic, the beauty of Saponara against Milan usually. But let's start with the biggest game, I think, of the weekend. And I say this with a, I don't know, because is it the biggest game? But it has to be, right? Defending champions Inter against the undefeated team of the season in Napoli. And Napoli came into this game having never lost in Serie A, having only conceded four goals. And they faced an interside that hadn't really won against direct opponents, was being criticized for it, you know, performances against Milan, performances against Atlanta, against Juve. And, and, and I do think that most of the time they deserved a lot more than they actually got. And they just dominated. They were brilliant. And do you know how I said to you that there's something about Napoli that I couldn't figure out, but I just don't ever trust them? This was why. <laughs> we'll go into it later. But tell me, tell me what you felt about that match. Uh, I mean, first of all, I felt like it was wildly entertaining. I mean, actually, when um, Zielinski scored at the start of that game, I was, I almost texted you because we'd had our conversation, didn't we, about who was going to be winter champions. And I was like, well, it's Napoli. Look, I mean, Napoli are here. They're playing good. It was a lovely goal from Zielinski. And it was such a a sort of... I don't know, it felt in that moment, I was like, oh, it's a statement goal. You know, he's robbed Barella in midfield. He's taken it forward. Insigne has played that beautiful pass back and then straight in the top corner at San Siro. It's like a, you know, it's a real way to score that goal as well as just getting the goal. And then just a complete seesaw in the opposite direction. Um, I thought Inter were solidly the better team for, for most of the game, about an hour in the middle of the game. But then at the end... After Victor Osman gets injured, which is, of course, a disaster for Napoli that we need to talk about, um, mm. Simone Inzaghi, I, I just think his substitutions this season, he keeps getting them wrong somehow. Checo and Vidal come on. The team lost something, lost some of its, its speed and its, its impetus, and, and Napoli then completely took control of the last 15 minutes. I thought in the end, were quite unlucky not to draw because Mertens missed the goal from six yards and Spalletti did a hilarious front first collapse onto the floor, which, <laughs> I mean, you look at him and think he's 62 years old. But on the other hand, um, I think as I talked about in the podcast a few weeks ago, some of the stories you hear from from Totti in his book about Spalletti, this is the low end of Spalletti's, how should we say, a way of putting himself on display. Okay, so you felt that the substitutions that Inzaghi had uh, made towards the end is what really gave Napoli the impetus to try to come back into this match. Um, do you wonder, because I have been also, also relatively harsh on Simone Inzaghi and his subs, I felt a little bit sorry for him on this occasion. Not because I don't think that, you know, once again, there's no need to take off Lautaro Martinez. He's your leader up front. So there's not always a need to constantly change all your players. But to a certain extent, I feel like Jeco is somebody I probably would have also brought on if I had to replace someone like, you know, replacing Correa, who mm. was carrying a knot. 
do you think that the clash of heads obviously had impacted the way that he could perform, you know? Um, Vidal, just after what he did for Chile, for honestly, I would probably not play him for the next month just as punishment for that, you know? And once again, he comes and does something so stupid that this player really drives me crazy. Um, but do you think that, you know, Korea was injured? Maybe that you understand some of those substitutions and he was unlucky? Or do you think that he just sometimes purposefully is an idiot, you know? Purpose better. Don't know think he's doing it on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I'm going to sabotage yeah. all of this. Um, just, not just, that just cynical. <laughs> this is too easy. We need to give them a chance. Oh, it's like at school. Yeah. Doing, like at school when you're doing sports and it's like, oh, this team's winning by too much. So someone has to switch teams. Maybe they could have done could have done that. I, I have to say the Korea thing's amazing because didn't that happen just um, a few weeks ago? <laughs> He's about to take him off in yeah. Korea who's done nothing all game funny does something. And I thought it was the same thing again. Korea was basically didn't do anything for most of this game. Um, and I, I have in my mind this um, uh, way of phrasing that, that really tickled me a few years ago when Cristiano Ronaldo scored this classically Ronaldo 10 foot up in the air header and an Italian outlet, Ultima Uomo, described it as Cristiano Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldoing in English, like turned him into a, <laughs> into a verb. And I feel like what Correa did in this game was Joaquin Correa, Joaquin Correa, which is doing nothing, but then being really, really good at that one move, that counterattack where he carries <laughs> the ball forward at pace. And that was enough. And maybe weirdly after he went off um inter lost some of that pace on the counter and that actually did negatively impact them but i do understand the logic of jeko mm. you're winning by two goals here's a target man here's someone who can hold the ball up here's someone who's just going to choose some time off the clock exactly yeah i get it in theory yeah Okay, so let's talk about the Craig goal in a different way. So for me, like I said, there's just something about Napoli that it's never made me feel secure. And then I started to think, hold on a second, Mina. This is a team that's undefeated. They've got Osman and Angrisa added into this team this season who are playing on a consistent level. And they have been nothing short of marvellous. They seem to be getting all the goals that they need. They are not conceding any. They look stronger. They look happier. So maybe you need to cut them some slack, yeah? Mm. Right. First thing happens, they score a goal. What happens? They take their foot off the gas. And I'm just thinking, what? You've just, why? It, it was so interesting because when Inter equalized, they just kept amping up the pressure more and more. They took control of the game. They started playing even more in Inter way, unpredictable, perfect going forward, balanced in every way, physical, vertical, on the wings, through the middle. And, and Napoli just almost switched off until they were allowed to switch back on. But it's it's the Korea goal, though, that really, for me, hammered in this point, that Napoli have this thing where this guy, and I don't, I love the thing about Korea because I feel like he has small feet. So when he <laughs> dribbles, it's almost like he does like 15,000 steps more than he probably would need. He doesn't take long strides when he's dribbling, yeah? Mm. And I feel like that's what I would be if I was ever a, a talented player. But anyway, because <laughs> I've got small feet. And he's just running through the pitch and not a single intervention from a Napoli player, not a single, I'll take you out and I'll get a red card or I'll show you that there's no way in hell I'm going to lose. Where was Fabian Ruiz in this game? Where was Insigne after he delivered the assist? Where are your men who carry this team forward, that raise the center of gravity, that try to win back the ball? Where is your Barella, whatever it is? 
it was so dependent on Anguissa and hoping that Osman will do something up front. But the overall mentality of the team is still rather shoddy. And I genuinely believe that this is the type of match where you needed to show your teeth and to allow Korea to go up that pitch and not a single intervention and then deliver that perfect assist for Lautaro Martinez, an assist that he promised he would deliver him before that game because they wanted Martinez to score. Where is Napoli? And this is, for me, the reason why I struggle to ever put them as Scudetto winners because until they show me that they can live up to the challenge and actually do or die for the result the way that Inter can, the way that Milan have showed the way Juventus were famous for, then for me, I, I struggle to see them as winners. And I really hope Spalletti can change this. It's funny, isn't it? I, I honestly, like, if I'm being truthful about my reactions, like if I'm talking about like how my heart feels, seeing Spalletti do that, that falling onto the, the pitch face forward, I, it makes me happy because he's such a character. Like he's such a, yeah. I, 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 I love in, in football and in life. It's one of the reasons I go on with you so well, I think, Mina, is that I love people who are wholeheartedly themselves. And I think Luciano Spalletti is wholeheartedly himself all the time. I don't think that all of his methods yeah. are how I would do things. We've talked before about his unusual <laughs> manner of monitoring his mum, which I find a little bit intrusive, but you know what? That's who <laughs> Luciano Spalletti is all of the time. And I I think for that reason... Wait, for those who don't know, can you tell them one one reason what he does with his mum? Oh, he so has like a... I mean, I was going to call it CCTV, which won't be probably like the right imagery he has a camera like in his in his mum's house so that he can watch her and make sure she's all right which you know in in sort of gentle terms like well, it's nice to have some you know keeping track of someone who's elderly and, and make sure they're safe but there's this whole sort of interview when she's talking about you know he checks in and makes sure i'm having my breakfast and you think that's a bit much actually i don't want you know the idea can you imagine having your adult child mina like checking in like you might just want to have your breakfast. You might want to come out like Naked. not fully dressed first thing in the morning. <laughs> you know, just because you get older doesn't change these habits. And you don't want to have the camera all the time. <laughs> anyway, that's my own, that's my own hang ups. The Spletty family can do what they want. Um, but I love him for being such a character and for being someone who makes Seria fun. And I think that I'm going to push back on you a bit and just say, all right, Ooh. this game, this game was, was, was not great at all. On the other hand, the fact that they had conceded four goals up to now makes me think you, you earn a bit of credit. Okay. You've gone away to one of the toughest away games you're going to have all season. You got it wrong. You got beaten and you deserve to get beaten, even though you had a good finish. You did lose a really important player halfway through it. I was frustrated with some players. Insigne in particular, I was really frustrated with after that start. I thought, oh, here we are seeing him take things in by the scruff of the neck. But there were others who really impressed me. Once again, I thought Anguissa, when that situation was going against them, he was battling. He was carrying the ball. He was fighting. I was really impressed with Anguissa, even in the mess of all that. So I'm not, um, I'm not ready to tank Napoli's title bid on the basis of the first loss. Okay, maybe not now, but you mentioned Anguissa and you said they lost a serious player so early. Right, you know, two people they're losing for the African Cup of Nations and now with what happened and poor Osman suffering a cheek fracture. I mean, Osman might not play till February now. 
Exactly. So explain to me how you haven't yet discounted Napoli or why you think this is the, <laughs> like, as in maybe this is just a loss and maybe they were just, you know, although for me they showed all the weak mentality that they have become known for. And even Arrigo Sacchi, whose column irritates me beyond all comprehension for Gazette de los Sport, as he once again talks about the beauty of the aesthetic. Yeah. Even he said <laughs> they don't have the mentality. And maybe this was the kind of game that they needed. Maybe that they can learn lessons from it going forward. But without Anguissa for a month and now potentially without Osman for two months, should we be worried? I would love so much to get you and Saki in a room. The problem is I don't think he speaks English. <laughs> I don't know if you'd feel confident doing that in Italian, but I would love it. I would love to have you too going head to head on all the topics. I would just sit there with some popcorn and enjoy it. <laughs> He's, you know, he would hold his corner. He's a, as you say, he's the strongly opinionated man who I often disagree with as well. Um, I am, so here's my thinking about Napoli. I don't have all the answers. Osiman is a huge loss. He's a top scorer and he's brilliant. We've talked about him loads. And you have Petania as this sort of first choice alternative who is kind of looks the same in that he's tall and can be a number nine. But I remember a few games ago, uh, them taking off Aussie men and sending on Britannia and um, the commentators talking about, okay, you know, plan B. And I'm like, so it's plan A. I can't win this race in my Ferrari. So I'm going to try and win it in my Fiat. I mean, they're, they're the same sort of player, but one is just worse, right? They're not, you're not swapping someone who's completely different. You're swapping a worse version of, of, of that sort of number nine. I I think that it might be time to to, to cling back onto Mertens and say, okay, we need to play slightly differently up front. Mm. We're going to, we're going to let this attack look something more like what it did before because you've got still all of those three, um, well, I suppose you haven't because Keller Home went, but you've still got three of the marvelous Smurfs they used to call them because you've got, um, uh, Lozano and you've got Insigne and you've got Mertens. Make it work. You know, that that combination can do things. I thought Lozano actually did some good stuff again in this game. So I I think there's plenty of scope there to still score goals. And again, what you need to remember with this Napoli team is their greatest strength before this was not conceding goals. Anything to say for Inter going forward? This might be the year that they actually qualify from the Champions League group stage going to the knockouts? Is this a team that you think, yes, they could definitely win the Scudetto? I I think this has changed the the situation a lot. Like four points, they got they got the ground on both both rivals on the same weekend. I think the fact that it's happened with Milan dropping points as well as we're about to talk to is huge. I think there's a huge confidence surge that comes from this, from knowing that you're going into this really intense period of games. I mean, we're talking about like nine games in a month for some of these teams, basically. Um, and I think that, um, yeah, it's definitely an exciting moment, uh, for, for Inter fans. And I think real chance now to build momentum, of course, with the Champions League as well. They're going into this midweek game as we're recording against Shakhtar, win that. And you start to feel great about your chances of going through in the Champions League, which Inzaghi talked about at the end of the game. That's the thing which they haven't been able to do recently. A little dig at your favorite Antonio Conte there. I thought like Mina and then, um, see where it can go from there. Chapeau. <laughs> yeah, they they are. I mean, I have to say, I am 
I do really love Inter. It's funny because, you know, I watch a game and then I don't really care who, which side wins. But then halfway through this te- this this match, I started, found myself really supporting Inter. And and I don't know why that happened because Spalletti I'm so obsessed with as well. So I also wanted him, like I just couldn't decide what I wanted in the end. But I just find them a team that possess so much in terms of balance. You know, they are so good in the, in the wide areas. They are good through the middle. Chanelogdo is actually working for them right now. It is like, I do sometimes feel like Correa and Natal Martinez are not, for me, the most dependable, but they have so much talent. Um, and then you have, there's just everything, physicality, um, speed. I, I, I just love the harmony within the team as well. But anyway, they, of course, managed that beautiful scalp over Napoli. And Napoli were, like we said, suffered their first defeat. But so did Milan against Fiorentina. And I have to say, I actually put money on this game, stupidly. Lost all of it because I bet on Milan. <laughs> so what's happening there? Did you ever believe Fiorentina have this way of either literally destroying you, like they've destroyed Juventus in the past with Beppe Rossi, do you remember? Like they've destroyed Inter and Inter are so scared of them. And this is what they've managed now. Finally, Vincenzo Italiano had managed a two-win victory over Milan in February last year when he was at Spezia. Spezia won that match 2-0. He's moved over to Fiorentina and he managed a 4-0 three a victory with Vlaovic being the perfect version of himself. But did you see the scoreline coming? I don't think anybody saw this scoreline coming. 4-3. I mean, no, I didn't see this scoreline coming. Um, I suppose I should have seen Ricky Saponara goal coming because that seems to be pretty much what he, he does in his career now since he's left Milan. He just scores against them every year, often brilliantly, and then, and then takes some time off. Um, but I, I don't know what to say about this game. Some of the dis- defending was honestly astonishing. Um, you had um, <laughs> the the first goal, Fiorentina, which is just dropped uh, by Tata Shanu at, at the feet of Duncan. You had um, Milan's first goal, which was uh, Bonaventura somehow misses all six foot five of Zlatan Ibrahimovic standing right in front of him and passes the ball to him. You have uh, Fiorentina's final goal, which is Teo Hernandez, who actually had quite a good game other than this, just faffing about for no reason on the edge of his area with his back to goal. So much bad defending, but also so much fun. Uh, Fiorentina went 3-0 up and you think, well, we're definitely done now. You're halfway through the second half, you're 3-0 up. Somehow, Camolo let me down back to 3-2, then 4-2, then 4-3. It's I mean, they were both so much fun in different ways. I think this was the most fun game that I've watched maybe all season, even more fun than the Napoli Inter game, but they were both really fun. <laughs> but um, variable quality, shall we say. And yes, I um, I don't know. I, I almost don't know what to make of it. I don't know if you come away from it with some strong takeaway, Mina, or if you just sort of feel like, well, that was fun. What worries me with Milan is that when they do face sides that are so offensively minded and and quite gung-ho in their approach, Mm. like they have faced in Champions League more, they seem to really suffer. And from every point of view, physical, they they are not a side that want to be pressured into acting very quickly. So they want to be the ones that overwhelm you and run really fast and try to do everything. And if you do the same to them, it's like they just suffer under the consequences of it. I, it makes me feel like if 
Marilyn Pjanic, you know, if you pr- applied a certain amount of pressure, it was like you'd fumble everything in front of him. And I feel like Milan are Marilyn Pjanic <laughs> in that sense. And, um, and there's just, it is, it's, it's like the Teo Hernandez. I mean, he is so good going forward, but defensively, there are still so many mistakes. And it's so easy if you just concentrate on him, you can actually provoke him into tons of mistakes. But I don't want to be too harsh on the side in another version because they were without, what, like 11 players or something ridiculous like that. And and from the back five, if you consider the back four, including goalkeeper, they only had two starters, which are Captain Cahier and Teo Hernandez. And so, you know, without Calabria, without Tomori, who's been a non, you know, has been a starter for every match. It is hugely important to have your back line, you know, consistent and understanding and able to communicate and Tata Rosanu um, managed brilliantly against Inter, but obviously made that mistake. And Gambia is really, you know, he's young and he hasn't seen the pitch very often. So he's going to make those mistakes. I don't want to be too harsh on him. Um, and I love the fact that after this match, Purely came out and said, you know, no excuses for the fact that we're missing like 4,000 players. You know, this is something we'll learn from. But there is a part of me that just... I don't know whether they manage the moments of a match very well. And this is where I say to you, for me, into starting to look like the most complete team because they do, they have everything down from a pitch level, a tactical level, a mentality level, a, an experience level. You know, and it's still very young. And I think that sometimes when they just need to take a breath, I'm not sure they're there. And Leal, for me, is still the inconsistent performer. Beautiful to watch. Does it translate to goals all the time? I don't know. I, I mean, I think Leao is, I've, I've, I've taken a, a different view of Leao in the last sort of, uh, six months or so. I, I think he's genuinely, um, a step above most of what Milan have. Milan have some really good players. I think he's going to be really, really, um, brilliant for a long time. I think he, you're right that he's, yeah. he's the, the finishing is, is the only thing that's missing. Yes. Could he still score some more goals? Yes. Um, and maybe in this game you wish he had. Although on the other hand, I always think when you lose game four three, wasn't the goals that, we, that you scored that were your problem? Your problem was at the <laughs> other end. And I, I, I do think that this was a a moment where like Tatsu Shano for me, I think people have been a bit too quick to say, oh, he's as good as Mainyan. I think Mainyan was really really good, and Tatsu Shano's done well. Yeah. You know, he saved a penalty. There's done some good stuff, but I, I don't find him as um, as convincing. And that's like a, a more global judgment than just shot stopping, you know. And um, I, I think there are a few things that are really interesting to take away for me. I think one thing is it makes you realise when you talk about the defensive miss- players missing because Fiorentina had players missing at the back as well. Yeah, three <laughs> huge, huge centre backs. Yeah, and the thing that stands out actually for me is Tamori. It makes you realise how important Fikayo Tamori has come, who's still basically a kid but is really really good which is really encouraging for our English listeners out there I think Tamori is really such an important player for them now and I think even with Kia there and maybe Kia um if they'd had the choice they wouldn't have started he played a couple of quite tiring games for Denmark but yeah I think Tamori has become such an important presence centre-back for Milan and you really notice it when he's not there um which is quite surprising given Again, he's young and he came there as a as an unwanted player. Um and and he's really become a leader already in that Milan team. 
It was interesting as well for Fiorentina, the way that they played this match, because I think they've they've been quite a topsy-turvy team in the sense that there's been matches where you've looked at them and thought, oh, the attack's a bit, you know, Glavich is isolated, they're not getting their gears all together, and then there are matches like this one, and I enjoyed that one against Roma as well, when you think, wow, this is such a well-put-together team, and it really seemed like Vincenzo Italiano had properly studied Milan, you know, like they were caught offside all the time. He knew how to attack them in terms of pressure points, you know, where they could actually provoke mistakes from the certain players that they had. And, you know, Milan, it's interesting because they've always been able to just go to the bench and bring these wonderful players on board and it's fine. You just don't notice the absences. But obviously when they get an injury in midfield, they've got, you know, Benacer, Tonali, Kessie, Bakayoko. They're all very good midfielders. It's kind of a different thing when you, you know when you are when you have no Romagnoli and no Tomori and you're having to bring in Gabia. It's it's a different thing as well. If Brahim Diaz is missing, I don't think there's I don't think Maldini or Krunic are exactly the same type of level that we're looking for. So I do think there is probably in terms of squad depth, they don't have what is necessary in all areas. Um and I still think that when it comes to these big matches and when you look at Zlatan Ibrahimovic's record and why he is on 7 million is because he has scored so many big goals and so many big games. Even last season when I was looking at his record, so many of his goals came against the best opponents or the toughest opponents. But I think that my biggest takeaway from this is Vlaovic is really, really the, the real deal. Like he is just... He's just on another level. Attacca il lungo Vlaovic che mette giù il pallone. Vlaovic ha girato Tatarusha Lublovic! Contro il suo mito! Vlaovic 3-0 Fiorentina! Contro Ibrahimovic! Spunta Vlaovic e segna il suo primo gol in carriera ai rossoneri! Sa molto di sentenza! Con un movimento perfetto ad attaccare la linea! I would honestly like drive my entire forward line from Juventus over to Fiorentina <laughs> and pay the money just to take this kid home with me. God, isn't that an interesting idea? What if um, it's pretty hard, harder to pull off now because the contract is already so short. But what if Juventus could talk Fiorentina into taking Dybala for Vlavic? I know you'd take that deal in a heartbeat. I mean, I would give them money on top of it. <laughs> It's like it's not even part of the exchange. It's just an extra, like, it's like when you buy a new fridge and you pay an extra £10 to take away your old fridge. That's what you're saying. <laughs> Dybala, it's your oh, old wow. discarded fridge. That's what you're saying. I'm just, I'm just trying to put you, what you're saying to me, Mina, into, into concrete terms. Is that what you're saying? Into terrible terms. <laughs> now he's an old fridge that i got to get rid of. <laughs> You can tell I just moved house, can't you? You can tell I just moved house because these are the things I'm thinking of. No, basically, I'm giving them money because they're going to need a lot of it because of his injuries, you know? Like, the poor guy, I mean, it must be really horrible for him. But another injury, right? Just give me Vlaovic, you know? Vlaovic is really, really all right. He's special. I mean, he scored... 10 goals already this season in 13 games. That puts him joint top with Chile Mobile in the scoring charts. Um, he scored 27 goals in this calendar year, which is um, now level with Kurt Hamrin as Fiorentina's best ever calendar year for a player. Um, he's 21 years old. He doesn't look 21, does he? When you look at him, you're like, that's a, 
No. It's an adult man, which not all 21 year olds look like. No, no, you're absolutely right. Although Donnarumma never looked like he was a kid well, that's either. True. Yeah. <laughs> good. But I mean, I, I do, I did enjoy his little interview in which he said, you know, Vincenzo Italiano is just always very angry. And when he's angry, he calls me Dusan. <laughs> and I'm just thinking in my head, like, that, you must be called Dusan a lot. <laughs> that man is always angry. But I, I do love the relationship they seem to have as well. And I feel like they're extracting the best out of Lavage with Italiano at the helm. Um, and I, although I honestly speaking with the way that he plays and the way that he trains, I think that he'll be a success wherever he goes. He's one of the most like reliable, like, as in if I'm putting money on something, I trust him and I trust Ossingen. Yeah. I, I, I think there was an interesting, um, sort of, uh, just contrast that came into my head actually, um, during this game because of Ricky Sapanara. And I'm not suggesting that Sapanara was ever the talent that, that Vlahovic is, but Sapanara technically is is a a reasonably rare footballer he can do things that a lot of footballers can't do and then you listen to Italiano at the end of the game and Italiano says Ricky's interesting because you have to like basically find the way to push his buttons you have to find the things that stimulate him and you have to keep doing it like you have to always keep finding those ways to do it beyond him whereas Vlahovic I just think is absolutely in his own head hell bent on becoming special like he wants to go and be an elite footballer playing for one of the best clubs in Europe. It's why he won't sign a new contract because he's determined to go on and, and, and become really big. And you need both, right? Like you have to have talent. You can't just be anyone and do that and become one of the best. But he, he has got that second thing that you need of being really intensely driven, I think. And I think it, it matters quite a lot if you're going to take that last step. I know that obviously we, we know that Kylian Mbappe has won a World Cup and he is probably the best youngster in the world. And, and well, I mean, Haaland is what, alongside him as well, um, scoring nonstop for Borussia Dortmund. But can Vlaovic be mentioned in the same bracket as Haaland? Like if he was at Borussia Dortmund, would you not imagine him scoring just as many goals as, as potentially? Obviously, Haaland has proved himself now in every way in the Champions League as well. So that is something that we haven't yet tested Vlaovic. But I mean, seeing the way that he trains, seeing how everyone talks about him from his coach to the everyone around him, really, you know, his teammates, um, Ibrahimovic, even this kid is very, very, very special. Is there a potential that, you know, we're, we're all so concerned with what's happening with Mbappe in Haaland, but could this guy be the third guy that joins them in that pantheon of the gods, you know? I, I think in, in that age group, so I put Mbappe in, I guess, a different pocket in my brain because he's he's a wide forward, or at least he's plays there mostly at the moment, whereas um, Haaland is, is another number nine, right? So Haaland and Vlaovic, you can draw like quite a compa- uh, direct sort of comparison between. And I think you've nailed it. I mean, like Vlaovic, the only thing he's missing for me to put him alongside Haaland is that Haaland has played those Champions League games. So... I'm excited to see when Vlavic gets that chance, how he does. But I think domestically what he's done is is already extraordinary. And probably there's two things that have stopped him from being acknowledged on that level, which is the biggest one is the Champions League and not playing in it. And the second one is even just, I guess, a, a step before that. He plays for a club who haven't even played in Europe the last five years. In Germany, Dortmund are yeah. pretty much the number two Every, well, not every year, but certainly in terms of status, they're number two to Bayern Munich. I think if Harlan, if Vlaovic was already playing at 
even a Napoli outside the Champions League, there might be more attention on him than there is at Fiorentina, who aren't just a, a club in their recent history who have that sort of international attention. Yeah, so that's why if you are somebody who wants to criticise him for not signing a contract, you have to understand that for his own career and his own ambitions and to be recognised as somebody who really works day in and day out, he needs to play for a club that's going to be challenging on every on every level. And if a senior at 30 is asking for demands of what Napoli can provide him with in terms of ambition, then surely Blaubic is allowed to do the same because you know what? He doesn't disappear from matches. Let's move on <laughs> to... <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I do take a lot of things that are seen It's just a funny thing. I don't actually mean it. I think he's fabulous. I maybe mean it a little bit. Yeah. But uh, let's talk about Juventus, a team that could potentially one day have Blaubic if all my dreams come true. And they managed a 2-0 victory over... Lazio scored two penalties. Everyone questioned why on earth Leonardo Bonucci is not Italy's penalty taker. I mean, everyone was flooded with these questions. And I think we can all start to agree that with a man who loves to rinse your mouth, the gesture when he scores a goal, this, he's not somebody who cares too much. So maybe he has the ice in his veins that it's needs. Mentre Bonucci prova adesso a prendere la rincorsa, batterà di destro appunto il tiro e il gol a spiazzare. Pallone alla sinistra del portiere che si era tuffato dall'altra parte. Bonucci sotto il muro umano di sostenitori della Juventus che potete sentire nell'assistenza tecnica di Paolo Ranaldi e gli effetti che vi raggiungono. 38esimo minuto Lazio 0, Juventus 2. Linea this was the first time that Juventus played their players in their rightful roles. I've never seen an injury lead to an intelligent shake-up of the system. They went from a 3-5-2, Danilo gets injured, they take him off and put Kulusevski, so they went to a 4-3-3. Possibly the reason why they managed to cover the, the width of, and the breadth of the pitch so well. I love that Rabiot played as a midfielder and not some awkward winger. And actually, he's not so bad when you play him in the middle. He's still not tremendous, but he was not so bad. Locatelli is the genius that keeps on giving. And um, my only question mark for all of you, for, for you, I guess, Nikki, is is what happens when Dybala comes back? <laughs> oh, poor Dybala. Your use, your unwanted fridge, Mina. What you're saying is you've got the living room. You've finally got the living room. Oh, the living room, the kitchen. You find out the kitchen looking how you want it to. You finally got everything in place. And then you're going to realize that the old fridge is just out in the garden and someone's going to bring it back in. You're going to go, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit in my beautiful kitchen with the lovely new fridge. Because if they, if they are a counter-attacking team that plays with a striker and two wide players, yeah, Kulisevsky and Keza, who should be playing on the wings with a striker in the middle, it is kind of hard to put Dybala in there, but he's so talented and one of the only players we have that plays on the ball well. So what do you do? It's difficult. What What is Juve? Yeah, I, I, I don't know, Mina. I think um, we've talked about it so many times, but I think in the end, Juventus' problem is several years of a recruitment policy that didn't make sense. Like the, for several years, the yeah. recruitment policy was like, oh, you're interesting, you're available on a free transfer, let's sign you. Um and so mm. the pieces don't fit together and you've bounced from one manager to another to another. In fact, one of your managers who was previously your manager and won the league with you is against you this weekend, Lazio. Um, but there hasn't been any planning and 
the bits don't fit together. And I'm certain that Allegri, like probably most managers of uh, top clubs all over Europe right now, would bite somebody's hand off to have Vlavic as as that option to lead the line because they haven't got that. Um, they haven't got that number nine who they feel great about. They've got Alvaro Morata who won a penalty. Um, you know, he's had his good he's had his good days in the Juventus shirt, although they feel. They feel more rare lately, don't they? They feel like they haven't happened so much in a while. I don't. I don't know how the pieces all fit together. Of course, um, you know, I can. I can call on individual thoughts and ideas. I can say that. Well, Dybala played his best football under Maurizio Sarri when Sarri kind of basically said to him, "No, you need to play closer to goal. Stop coming back. Be close to goal. Be that player." And in that position, maybe you could. Think of something to to make him work as a something more like um I don't know is is he is he ever going to be like a number nine I, I just don't know though it, to me it doesn't it doesn't fit together and I'm not certain even though Dybala is abundantly talented that there are many teams where he fits um I think he's too he's too much of a a free spirit I suppose in a footballing sense mm. and. You can get away with that if you're good enough. And I feel like maybe he's good enough for a lot of teams, but not quite good enough for that level you need to be at for a team that aspires to win the league and win in Europe every season. Um, again, he's really good. He's done brilliant things for events. He's been literally voted as Serie A's most valuable player. So he is a, a player of talent, but he's... Who's voting? <laughs> Well, some of those Serie MVP awards I've questioned as well. But look, he had a great half a season under under Mario Tussari. And that was when he played closer to goal. So that's the best I can say is play closer to goal. But Wow, half a season. That was the truth about that vote. Like I thought that even at the time, it was, you know, he, he played some really good games and they were in quite a concentrated period. I would guess around the time when ballots were being sent out, he played those games. Um but actually, for me, even when I sort of stepped back and looked at a whole season, I thought, really, was he, was he good all season? Or you just were sold on these sort of fifteen games here in the middle? Yeah, I, I I'm not going to fight you on Dybala. I mean, I, I, I don't know how it fits, but I don't, I don't know how any of it still fits together at Juventus. There's, to me, it's still a, a jigsaw. It's like a jigsaw that's been made up of two jigsaws, and you've got some good bits, but they don't all fit together to make a, a picture. Yeah, I mean, listen, if Dybala actually, you know, managed to stay fit for a while and carry momentum, I don't doubt that he can do something special, but it's obviously always been the problem, right? Even under Sadi. Great, you managed a great run of games and then sadly you were missed and then we couldn't really build from that and then we have to start from scratch and and then it just becomes a slog again. And when you think of the numbers associated to to how much it costs to keep him, obviously we ha- we go back to the issue of is it really all worth it? You know, when you have players like Vlaovic available, probably you can't afford because but then if you can't afford then at least save up for a few years the way that Real Madrid are doing to try to get Mbappe and maybe try to get a good player and not just you know Ronaldo <laughs> does that make sense and then have like a whole deep team like a desert and and you know void of any of any talent and then just this one masterpiece in the middle but I, I tell you what was nice me, I just I, I, I was going to say one thing that was nice in terms of that sort of question about players and signings that have been bought and they haven't worked out. Um, it's just a moment, but I thought that Kulisevsky sort of 
heads up play for that second goal and the ball that he played out to, to Kiersa, which ends up sort of, I mean, it's still a rush of blood from Pepe Reina, but to, to set Kiersa on that run that leads the second penalty, I thought that was a real like, oh, okay. That's what we want to see from Kulisevsky. That was a nice moment. Yeah, I mean, he still made some forward decisions, but I think that there were, they can, I, if anyone watches Aliga as much as I do as well, it's like Vinicius Junior, like, you know, he just, he just does some brilliant things and then makes some poor decisions. But this season, he's really come into his own. So I'm sort of hoping that Kudusevsky will get there because you can, you see the talent there, you see his ability. He doesn't always make the right decisions, but I just feel that if he has momentum and if we play the way that we're supposed to play with every player in their rightful position and no one having to take up some weird, you know, positions, then maybe people can start building momentum and players can start like feeling safe in their roles. And that's essentially what I would like. But yes, you want to come back on me, I feel. I, I had a question actually that was in my mind earlier from something you said in, in, in the last um, conversation where you, where you were saying about Milan and squad depth. And I wanted to ask you, because I have an answer in my in my head to this question, but when you said, oh, you know, Milan, squad depth can be an issue. Maybe they haven't got that depth you need to win a title. I was like, which team, when you look at it, do you think does have the depth? Which team has the depth? Inter only. Yeah, that's it. It's just Inter, isn't it? That's it. And that's why we think Inter might still win this league title because in the end, Juventus should, yeah. have got too many pieces that don't fit together. Milan have, have got, I think Milan have got pretty good depth, but yeah, defence, it starts to look thinner. And Napoli, um, I mean, Napoli in some ways have depth, but I just think there's, there's a reliance on a couple of individuals who are really, really important. And Osimhen is one of them and he's now out. Well, you, you can not necessarily, like you said, I mean, you can just be lucky. Atletico Madrid were lucky when they won the title and they never changed anything. But, I mean, you, Juventus could just, if you're playing in different competitions, it becomes much harder, obviously, squad depth. But it's it's the issue with Juve is that, like you said, it's the pieces don't match. Um, mm. But it's Lazio, right? I mean, when we talk about squad depth, who is their alternative to Ciro Immobile? Take him out of the team and you basically have a, a very, very bland Lazio that don't mm. score goals. And, and, you know, when we speak of identities, there was a lot in this match that was, I don't know who Lazio are. Are they, are they Sadi's version? Are they the, still the counter-attacking side that we've seen in certain matches, like against Roma, for example, and in which you see more of a Simone Zaghi identity? Are they under Sadi's control now? Because to me, what they looked like was what I experienced as a Juventus fan, which is watching a team that was really bland and not manage anything going forward. And more importantly, he didn't even try to change anything with the substitutions. So it's like, yeah, okay, we're just going to keep watching this and hope that something and or someone can go through when it just looked like Juventus were gaining more and more confidence and more and more ability to keep playing vertical football to destroy you. And I just think, I expect, like, they were just a, such a more exciting team under Inzaghi. And I don't know whether it's just a question of time, but for Lotito to be so in love with Sadi, I'm not. I'm not sure what he's seeing that I'm not. I, I think Sadi has got by a certain amount up to now with the fact that he won the big games, and we've talked about it before. He won the derby, and I feel like winning the derby, your first derby in Rome, just like it sets you up for at least a few months. Um, this was a big game. They didn't win. They didn't deserve any more from it than they got. I didn't think they weren't very good. Um, and when you said, "Who's the alternative to?" Um, Chiro Immobile, my brain goes, oh, Quincarea, oh, 
you know, like Korea, <laughs> who has his limitations, and you know, I'll, I'll I'll harp on them as I have already. He's quite good at being a shido mobile alternative because he's really yeah. good at those fast breaks. He's really good at stretching the pitch, and and now he's gone. It is a bit like, oh yeah, what's the what's the other option to this? Um, should mention because we have a, that lovely moment before kickoff, um, because. Immobile has now passed Silvio Piola as the club's all-time top scorer. They put on a huge choreography for him in the stand and, and he got quite teary and that was lovely. But yeah, a reminder, even more of a reminder, that gigantic banner that he's he's kind of the whole plan up front now. Okay, so we've wrapped up all the big games. I think the, the one that I really think that we should talk about... Um, is, of course, Genoa versus Roma. For the reason that this is Shevchenko versus his old coach in Jose Mourinho. Genoa, we know, had a torrid time under Ballardini. Um, Preziosi, the old uh, Genoa owner, used to say, you know, he was a terrible coach and yet continues to hire him over and over again. And says so he's very good at rescuing a team, just not very good at starting it off. Anyway, Shevchenko comes in, attack-minded. You think this is going to be a fun game, but Jose Mourinho under quite a bit of trouble, not getting the results that everyone's expecting of him. Lots of groans and moans coming out of uh, Roma. And largely, I thought this was a pretty dull game until a certain player came on board in Jan. Grande ripartenza della Roma, grande giocata di Mkhitaryan, tutto in velocità, l'appoggio per l'inserimento sulla destra di Felix che è entrato in area di rigore, praticamente un po' defilato sulla destra con l'interno del piede, ha fatto secco Sirigo, prima rete in Serie A per questo ragazzo, sarà sicuramente una gioia immensa per lui, una gioia immensa anche per i tifosi della Roma e per i suoi compagni di squadra che sono corsi tutti and it was astonishing, wasn't it? Because you're looking at Roma struggling to be a team that's pretty much in the relegation scrap this season. It hasn't been the best recent run for Roma. They need a result. They need to start kicking on again and show that they can compete for those top four places like we expect them to. And Nicola Zaniolo's on the bench. So this seems obvious, right? Like Mourinho is going to turn to his bench and he's going to see Zaniolo and Anongo Zaniolo and our Italian superstar, who everyone keeps talking about being one of the next big things, will come on and have his chance to save the day. Except Mourinho doesn't do that. He turns around and sees an 18-year-old kid who's played short substitute cameos in two games, a player who's technically still sort of part of the, the Primavera, the youth team uh, squad, and and sends him on instead. And this kid, Felix Afenagian, um, apologies for not pronouncing that right. I'm not sure if it should be Gian or, or, or Gian, but um, I, I'm going with Jan and someone can tell me if I'm wrong. I heard it is Jan. I, I did ask a Ghana journalist and he said Jan, so I'm hoping that's true. <laughs> okay, good. Well, you've, you've, you've checked then. You're doing better than I am. So Jan comes on, scores two goals, the second of which is brilliant. Like he comes in from the left wing. Arrows wow. into the far corner from 20 yards. Shevchenko, she prova ancora. Felix, la doppietta del Ganese, la chiude lui con una rete spettacolare dopo un rimbalzo fortuito dai 25 metri. Prende il mirino, lancia una saeta imprendibile per 
Sirigu e firma la sua personale doppietta giocatore del 2003 alla seconda And presenza this, as you said not a particularly exciting game for the first 75 minutes suddenly has uh, a, I suppose in, in Shevchenko's return to Serie A we have the birth of a new great centre forward maybe I mean who knows this could be a flash in the pan but certainly 15 minutes of really exciting football from a young player you know what I think is so beautiful about this is that the way that he celebrates he runs obviously to Jose Mourinho and the story is, is that he wants a particular pair of football boots that are really expensive And Mourinho said, okay, score and then I'll buy them for you. So he went over to celebrate with Jose Mourinho by saying, oh, like I scored. So I, um, so Mourinho said that he would be going today to buy him the boots. But I mean, I feel like this is the first player who, born in 2003, has now scored a brace um, for Roma. He is, he's just a, a very tidy player, so good to watch. Obviously sensational with his shots, but really knows how to position himself. So it's exciting to see. I don't know what this means for Zaniolo. I, I mean, this is interesting because a lot of the Italian media have picked up on it. It's the fact that this guy stayed on the bench throughout this game. And with Roma, you know, I know that it looks like right now, oh, okay, you know, it got resolved. Jan came to the rescue, scored two goals. It's a fantastic story. Everyone's going to talk about it. But we do have to say for 75 minutes, they were wholly disappointing against Genoa. Genoa are so in the beginning of this project because you can so tell that there is not the right players there. They don't yet understand what is being being asked of them. And I do think that Shevchenko is a, is a coach that I like very much. And I feel like he has some, some good ideas. But even, I mean, Genoa just don't even shoot. They don't even get to goal. They're so passive in the way that they play their football. Um But Roma, it's the same issues, right? They, when they try, they, there's no bite to them. They don't try to win back possession. So what you feel like most of the time is by the time they have the ball and they're looking for directions, the defense is already in place. There's no mobility. They don't know what to do off the ball. There isn't that kind of fluidity that you expect from a team that knows how to find gaps or create gra gaps and, and score. So my issue is, is if you defend against them, I still don't think they have the answers until they always have a player that they can lean on who can produce a moment of quality. But is that something that's guaranteed or is this something that we're going to talk about every week? Because I'm yet to see them developing on the ball or even off it because they just still look to me, quite frankly, and not that dissimilar to Manchester United onto Ole. There's just no real scheme off the ball. So, I mean, this, again, um, even with the Jan story, I think it all ties together with, with sort of conversations we've had before about Mourinho, which is what's Mourinho really good at in 2021? I'm not talking about what has he done well in his career, because I think at different points in his career, he's been better at different things. But I feel like what he's really seems to rely on now and his, his sort of main trick is just, I can get players to work really hard for me, except that more recently he hasn't been able to do it. It didn't really work for him at Tottenham. And at Roma, we talked about, well, Pellegrini seems to have bought in and be running through walls for him, but who else is? And that's what I find so fascinating about this Jan situation is, actually, if you go all the way back to Inter, even when he was at Inter, I remember specifically Mourinho, when he was talking about Balotelli saying, it's really hard to motivate young footballers now, because young footballers, even though they haven't played a game for the first team yet, They already have a big fat contract. They can buy a Ferrari and so they don't have the sort of 
natural instinct to, to listen to you, to be motivated they did before. And I, what I find fascinating is putting those comments, which are now like a decade old, against this Jan situation where you talked about a really expensive pair of boots, Mina. They're 800 euros. Now, don't get me wrong. Yeah. That is very expensive <laughs> for me. I don't own any 800 euro <laughs> shoes. But for a footballer, that's not really expensive, right? Like for um, Pellegrini, for instance, that's a drop in the ocean. But for Jan, who's still a youth team player, who's still 18 years old and has come over from, from Ghana and who hasn't um, got the sort of full whack professional contract yet, that's still a big deal. He's still living for now in the um, club uh, accommodation for young players uh, on campus, basically. And I, I do think that part of this story is Mourinho has identified a young talent who he thinks he will get a hundred percent buy-in from. And I think he's right from the way Jan's talk, talking and acting. And to an extent, that just reaffirms what you're saying though. He hasn't got a tactical plan. What he's got is a plan to try to get soldiers on board for his, we'll just commit harder and harder. And I think that a lot of managers do things like this, right? I mean, go back to even Conte when he was Italy manager with Giaccherini, right? Managers get their favourites who are players who aren't necessarily the, even always the best ones, but who work hard for them. But I, I don't see the tactical evolution from Roma. To actually answer your question, I don't see it. And I don't know when it's coming. I think Mourinho's plan still seems to be to me, we just have to want it. We just have to work more, which I'm not sure really cuts it at the highest level of football. No, I don't think he puts them in a position to extract the most, but I hope it works out with him, with Jean. But you, you know, that's all well and good when you can manage to motivate Pellegrini and Jan, but you sort of need to get about another 10 players on board <laughs> in order to do that or, or show me something more. But either way, we'll see how they perform in the, in the conference league. Uh, Atalanta have obviously another Champions League game and they did a terrific job against Spezia. They look like it's all starting to come to plan when it comes to them playing at home. They've been so much better away from home, but that performance was, oh, Pasalic and Zupan Zapata, rather extraordinary. Any other games stuck out for you? No, I think mean, that game was obviously another another seven-goal game in Serie A, the Atalanta one. And- <laughs> Really um, big, big game coming up for them in Europe, away to young boys, obviously on the, the the artificial pitch out there, which I know a lot of people aren't thrilled about. Um, they need to win it. Uh, the way the group is set up right now, they need to win that game and put themselves in position to go through on the final day. Um, I think other games are served for me this weekend. Uh, Venezia winning again. Uh, David Okareke is one of those players who's um, week to week sort of catching my eye a little bit more. And, and I think, you know, it's... It's harder to score goals on a team that is not um, dominant, right? Like it's 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 much easier to score lots of goals if you're playing for Inter or for Milan or, or for Napoli than it is to score goals for Venezia. So even though his goals aren't leaping off in terms of numbers just yet, I feel like he's he's really taking advantage of what he's getting and he's playing well. So another one to keep your eye on, maybe. Yeah, for sure. Actually, that's a great point. But also, I'm I'm quite impressed with what Zanetti's managing to do at Venezia. They look like they are such a nicely organized side, and it's so hard to penetrate them from a def- defensive point of view because they're strong defensively, and they have you know like Okereke uh, options up front. So I, w- it's interesting to see how they will develop as the season goes because I. 
that's two remarkable, you know, victories over Bologna now and over Roma. And and you can really see the side developing. So I, I want to see how far it goes. But um, obviously, Torino are yet to play. And then we have all the Champions League games coming up. Uh, so it's a very exciting week ahead. I'm excited for it. I mean, I, I love this first game back. And now I'm excited for uh, the Champions League to be back. It's It's a really intense run from here to Christmas. We've just talked about it a few times, but there's like, for the teams in Europe, it's it can be eight, eight, nine games in a month right now. And it's going to tell us a lot about how this season's going to go heading into the new year. It's exciting times. Yeah, in turn, their squad depth will defeat us all. Maybe, maybe. All right, gang, I think that does it for an incredible week in Syria. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did, because honestly, I was bouncing off um off the walls at times this weekend it was I, I, that's a bad expression that's something you do on your board i was having a great time is what i was trying to say um <laughs> back on friday with our chronicles q a mailbag show do get your questions into us on twitter at syria pod with the hashtag chronicles q a do follow that twitter account as well if you're not already uh subscribe to syria chronicles youtube channel for clips of the show Find us on Twitter at Mini Mizuki, at Nikki Bandini. Leave us a good rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much to everyone who's been doing that because there's been a few and they're lovely. Or wherever you get your podcasts. And please support the show if you can, if that's something you feel you can do, at seriachronicles.com forward slash supporter. We'll see you again on Friday. Ci può essere una soluzione perché loro non giocano a zona, non lo sta marcando nessuno. Palla tagliata, sale Materazzi, Marco! Materazzi! 
cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.